The Art of Not Creating. Hi, I'm Neil Headley. Welcome to The Voice in My Head for Monday, May 2nd, 2022. You know, the best crab cakes I've ever had were prepared by one of the chef instructors from the Culinary Institute of America. Made, I think to prove a point, the recipe called for equal parts of crab meat, saltines, and mayonnaise. And that was it. And they were spectacular. I mean, I've never had a better crab cake since then, regardless of the genius level of the chef. It's funny, too, because the greatest jazz musicians all agree on one thing. What separates the giants from the wannabes in jazz are the notes that you don't play. Baseball players who really understand the game will tell you that sometimes the pitches you don't swing at are the ones that win championships. As creators, the temptation is always there to show off your skill set and dazzle the crowd with your abilities. And there are plenty of times where that's warranted. I mean, after all, who got through their teens and 20s without looking forward to the part of the concert where the rest of the band walked off stage and left the drummer there for an 11-minute solo? There's some baseball fans who absolutely love the home run derby. I've met people who tell you that they love their chicken wings to be so spicy that the roof of their mouth blisters. They don't care that you can't taste the chicken anymore. Just bring on the pain. I remember this cover band that I had back in the 90s. I was doing a morning show at a rock station, and I was the lead singer for the band that would open the big venue concerts that the station presented. I assembled this insane group of session musicians. And the first song of every show was Foreplay Long Time by Boston. Now, if you know that song, you know that you don't dare go anywhere near that song unless you can nail it. And these guys nailed it, note for note, every night. It was a deliberate move on my part to let the crowd know right off the bat that they weren't going to see a bunch of randos just goofing around. But just because you can do a thing doesn't always mean you should. Staying with music for a second, here's what might be a controversial opinion. To me, the definitive version of the song I Will Always Love You was sung by the person who wrote it, Dolly Parton. There have been other versions that were even bigger hits, one that I can think of in particular, and it's probably the same one you're thinking of, seems to me to just be a chance for the singer to show off. I mean, there's no attempt to convey the heartbreak that Dolly Parton's version does. The bigger hit version is just about how loud can you belt it out or how impressive is your range or how many runs can you do. So you go from this touching tearjerker of a song about love and sacrifice to yet another four-minute demo piece that's meant to blow you away with the skill of the singer. For another example of that, just watch any episode of America's Got Talent or American Idol, and you'll see that Dolly Parton probably wouldn't have done well on those shows because it's the screaming, often misplaced high notes and those pointless multi-note runs that are the only things that seem to get the crowd's attention. When everybody else was losing their minds over the George Michael cover of Elton John's don't let the sun go down on me. I was I was thinking about how cringe-inducing it was when George threw in the word baby at the end after his final, I'd just allow a fragment of your life to wander free, and then the word baby. 
It's got no place in that song, but George was overcome by the need to fill an empty space with something. So there it was. And it ruins the whole song for me. Hockey legend Wayne Gretzky once said something that became a mantra, especially in the entrepreneur community. When he told an interviewer, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Now, in sports parlance, that means if you want to score a goal at some point, you got to shoot the puck. For a baseball player, you don't hit a home run unless you swing the bat. And it works outside of sports, too. You could say to a comedian, you don't get the laugh unless you tell the joke. But with all due respect and deference to number 99, I got to say, Wayne Gretzky was wrong. Even Gretzky will tell you that sometimes in hockey, the smartest thing you can do is pass the puck to somebody else and let them shoot it. In baseball, sometimes taking the base on balls works better for the needs of the team than having you swing for the fences. Great basketball players will sometimes tell you it's better to draw the foul than to shoot the three. If the person that's designing your outdoor advertising doesn't have a healthy reverence for the use of white space, fire them and get somebody who knows what they're doing. Because sometimes, in all things, minimalism is what works the best. Sticking with advertising, think for a second about one of the most legendary print ads of all time from 1959 for Volkswagen. The top three quarters of the page were empty, except for a tiny little photograph of a black VW Beetle. And three quarters of the way down the page, the words, think small. Holy white space, Batman. Now, someone who didn't really understand advertising or design could look at that ad and think about how much more copy could have been put in all that empty space. Sure, yeah. And it could have the distinction of having no real distinction at all because it would look like every other ad that was jammed full of too much selling and not enough art. Like radio advertisers who insist on trying to cram 35 seconds worth of copy into a 30-second commercial. Like singers who make sure that every song has so many vocal runs and belted-out choruses that seven of their biggest hits sound exactly the same. Advertising legend David Ogilvy said, Any fool can write a bad advertisement, but it takes a genius to keep his hands off a good one. The urge to edit, to tweak, to improve something can end up ruining it. Like crab cakes that have 17 different spices in them. Among my all-time favorite podcasts is Tom Webster's I Hear Things. Not just because Tom is a genius uh, and because we both married way up and both appear to have virtually identical senses of humor. One of the things that I love, and actually Tom reiterated this in a tweet to me the other day, is that he doesn't edit at all. It's kind of like this show, I Hear Things, is what Evo Terra refers to in his show as written to be read. But like me and like Evo, Tom writes in his speaking voice. So when it comes time to record the newsletter article that serves as his script, the words that Tom would naturally say are right there in front of him. So his editing is all done in advance of the recording instead of afterward. But it goes even further than that. Tom has pointed out in his show things that other people would likely edit out, and then he follows it with things like, Nope, going to leave that in. Why does he do that? Because he knows that real people stumble. Real people say, um, 
Real people take deep breaths from time to time that help convey the emotion of something that they are about to say. It was about 25 years ago now when radio producers had this brief flirtation with the idea of editing everything out of a radio commercial that wasn't in the script. And that included every mouth click, every breath sound, and sometimes even shortening the spaces between the words and sentences. Now, in part, this was necessitated by clients and copywriters who were trying to jam nine ounces of sardines into an eight-ounce can. But it became the hot thing, like jump cuts in a YouTube video. By the way, ask anyone who's an actual filmmaker or TV director, and man, will they roll their eyes at the whole jump cuts thing. Thankfully, radio producers started getting away from the over-editing practice once some sensible people started pointing out how distractingly unnatural it sounded. I mean, I can only hope that the YouTubers learn a similar lesson sometime soon about jump cuts, but that's a different episode. If I can tell that you've edited something out, that's a bad edit. Simple as that. It's the same way that sports fans will tell you, that if after the game people are talking about the umpires and the referees, then the referees failed. This week, I was reminded by Claude, the host of How Good It Is, another podcast, that in the classic rock anthem, Sweet Home Alabama, the first words out of the singer's mouth are, turn it up. Except that's accidental. It's Ronnie Van Zant asking the producer to give him more volume in his headset. And before you think that that's a throwback to the olden days of music production, remember that the first words in the 2007 monster hit Bubbly by Colby Calais are, will you count me in? Again, that's asking the engineer on the other side of the glass to cue her when it was time to start singing. 95% or more of the people that I've seen who describe themselves as professional audio producers would chop those parts out. But sometimes the art is in what you don't do. I'll wrap this entire thought with the story of one of my favorite moments from a 40-year career in broadcasting. It's the early 2000s, and I'm working with this gifted team of personalities at WWYZ in Hartford, Connecticut. We're doing what at the time was called a Country Cares Radiothon, where we donated 40 hours of continuous airtime to St. Jude Children's Research Hospital in Memphis for a live fundraiser. Now, I was the new guy at the station, and the team around me, well, they were used to dealing with the ebb and flow that was the emotional roller coaster of talking for 40 hours about pediatric cancer. They were used to it. I wasn't. And there was a moment, about six hours before the scheduled end, where the emotion got the better of me. And in the middle of talking about my own child and the horrors of imagining a cancer diagnosis, I, I just started weeping. Live. On the air. Now, let me paint a scene for you so you get an idea of how this worked. We had a stage set up in the center court area of a mall. Beside the stage where the DJs were doing the shows along with the, you know, the doctors and the celebrities and the families and the patients past and present, there was a second stage. And it kind of looked like every phone bank you've ever seen on any TV telethon. There were, I don't know, 15 or 20 volunteers taking calls from people pledging money. So 
there we are breaking every record the station had ever set for this particular fundraiser with a crowd of hundreds of people in the mall gathered around watching us. And every single one of the station's DJs was there. Every single one of them was holding a wireless microphone and every single microphone was on. And there I am, crying so hard that I am struggling to breathe, let alone to find the words that I wanted to say next. But other than the sound of me crying, do you know what you heard? Nothing. My on-air brothers and sisters from Country 92.5 just left me hanging. And it was perfect. Because the only thing you heard was the crying. And then, more crying. I mean, they all had microphones. All the mics were hot. Any one of them could have jumped in to fill the silence by giving the phone number or talking about how important it is to help the kids or a million other things. But they were geniuses, every single one of them, because they stood there and they let me cry. So you heard still more crying and even more crying. Then, in the background, there's another sound. The phone was ringing. And then another. Then another. And then a few more. Soon, the sound of the volunteers talking to the people who heard me crying and ran to their phones to pledge money became the dominant sound of the moment as every single phone lit up and stayed that way for hours. Now, somebody less obsessed with having everything polished and pretty would have jumped in a lot sooner and completely ruined a moment that, for all we know, might have helped save a kid's life. Now, I assume you're not making life or death decisions with your editing on a day-to-day basis. At least, I hope you're not. But before you hand the editing duties over to your favorite AI and tell it to take a chainsaw to your audio, maybe ask the AI how it feels about jazz or if it has a good recipe for crab cakes. That gets us to the end of episode 15 of The Voice in My Head. You kind of want crab cakes now, don't you? Okay, so let's get together over crab cakes and talk about how I can help with the next big thing that you're working on. Or if any of what I just mentioned would inspire you to pick up the tab for the crab cakes, feel free to buy me a virtual coffee instead. Just go to buymeacoffee.com slash nop. And nop is spelled K-N-O-P-P. Because there's no buymesomecrabcakes.com yet. You can also find a transcript of this episode and a bunch of other goodies at knopstudios.com. And look, if you want to get in touch with me, whether it's to talk about crab cakes or coaching or our copywriting course or whatever else is on your mind, my email address is neil at knopstudios.com. Let my virtual assistant in Thailand know that you want to chat. I'm kidding. I don't have that kind of money. Emails go to my three-year-old. Until next time, thanks for listening to The Voice in My Head. I'm Neil Headley.